Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week I'm joined here by Dwayne. What's up? What's up, Sebastian? What's up, Dwayne? Are you back to just being Dwayne? Back to Dwayne. Right. Back outdoors. That's good. Back to Dwayne. Take the crown off my head. There you go. Um, so big, big high school soccer week, um, at least for me. Um, you know, new coaching staff started. Uh, which was which was cool. Uh, got got the two new assistant coaches on the staff. Um, they official. They are official. Yeah, they're official. They're not on the website, but they're official. <laughs> no, they're not official. <laughs> no, they're official. They just haven't been updated to the website, but they're official. Uh, no, they're not official. Um, so, um, we also had our first two, our first two like scrimmage play days. Uh, so played. Um. On Saturday, played down at Cape Henlopen for the for their annual play day. Um, good time, like really, really well run. So big shout out to Pat Kilby uh, for a great run event and uh, a lot of fun. Got to play two two down south teams that normally I would wouldn't play. Um, so it's good, good, uh, good confidence builder for the girls. Good, good ability for us to be able to move players around and see where everybody fit in. Um, and then, uh, a decent work week. I feel like we're still trying to figure things out in a tough day yesterday for the varsity team and, you know, good, good result for the JV team against Conrad, a, a well-coached Conrad team. Um, so yeah, I mean, overall exciting, exciting to head into week three. Um, we got a really tough matchup in a week against, uh, river, um, Indian river. Uh, again, going to be well coached by Brent Mays, and uh, it'll be it'll be a tough tough matchup for us. So, so I'm looking forward to what to that what that'll bring. So, I'm excited for the season. High school season is always fun. Um, I think it's just a matter of kind of getting getting into the season. Uh, you know, managing the fact that we do have two teams now. So, um, there's that yeah, management involved. Yeah, it's good. Uh, yeah, good luck, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Good luck to all the players. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so and I've, I've had this discussion a couple of times this week, the importance of high school soccer. And I feel like it's 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 something that I, I honestly I I was hesitant um, uh, when I first got here. Um, but I think realizing now the importance of it from a social standpoint, um, you know, the school pride per aspect of it and just the ability to be able to play with and against your friends that you may potentially play with a club you know i think and i think there's an adjustment period and i'll ask you this because you, you played high school soccer my high school didn't have sports like that so um is there how big is that adjustment period or that difference between playing on your club team to playing on your on your high school team oh huge difference um especially like i think like on the boys side if you play over the summer, you know, you do like the ODP stuff, things like that. You're still like training with your club team. There used to be a Kirkwood tournament. You did like the first week of August, like literally the first week before um, high school season. Yeah. So there used to like you used to it's almost like the girls where you're running straight into. You're running going from club and high school, like not doing really not really taking the summer off. Yeah. But you got to realize, depending on what school you go to, like if you go to like a school like Sally's where you're surrounded by 22 travel players, you can kind of keep flowing. 
Um, but when you go to a public school, you don't you're not always surrounded by equal amount of talent. So some of the passes you make, you got to think about, right? Where you might be playing, you could play a ball 20 yards in the air, rely on someone to receive it and play. You got to think about that. You got to play that ball on the ground because that kid that you're passing it to may not be a full-time, he might be a lacrosse player. He's just playing soccer. He's just athletic or, you know, he might be a recreational player or, or you know, you're just not surrounded by those same caliber players. Well, I also so think I, it's a, I think there is a, there's a level of team chemistry that goes along with it, right? Yeah. I mean, the other thing is you go to school with all these kids, right? So like, they may be your friends that are playing, but at the same time, they may not be the best soccer players. <laughs> right. Or you've never just played, you've never played with them. Before. Or you've never, you've always been a year. I knew there was like two kids that were a grade younger than me. They always trained next to me for years at CDSA, but we never played on the same team. Right. So you knew who they were, but you just never played with them. So you had to adjust to how you play. Um, sometimes you play, there's three of you that play the same position that are all travel players. So someone has to adjust. Or maybe you guys weren't, maybe none of you guys are center mids, but you guys are the three best players. So guess what? You're all center mids now to hold down the team. Yeah. I mean, I think there's just, I mean, I think the hardest transition is probably for goalkeepers, right? You can go from having great back four or back three, whatever your coach decides to play. And, you know, used to getting shutouts and then now you're getting rained and poured on because maybe two or three of your defenders are just kids that just play soccer for high school. And they're not really high level club players. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but I will say, like, the good thing about it is if you're in a good high school team and maybe your club team isn't good or isn't like winning championships, it teaches you how to win and how to compete. Um, those kinds of things. On the flip side, if your club team is really good and your high school team is not good, it teaches you how to be a leader, it teaches you how to adjust, adapt, um, and it gives you that confidence that being the best player on the field yeah no i, I like that and, I, and that's why i wanted to ask you because again you have more experience with that than i than i do i just i look at it from a coaching standpoint not necessarily from the players standpoint as much because i i didn't live it um so that's good and i th- and i agree with you i think it's just a matter of it, i think it'll t- just take time right I, mean, uh, I, I i've seen it like when i was a freshman and sophomore everybody on the varsity team played club soccer Everybody. Like yeah. there might be like three, four, five kids that did not. Everybody played club soccer. So we are like the reason why we went 13 and two and won the conference is because we had that base when kids kids were playing travel that were coming off the bench. So we were good. Yeah. Everybody graduated my junior and senior year. And there was like five or six of us. And we had to do the job of eleven. Because the other couple kids made it go from five to six to maybe nine. Yeah. <laughs> they were just fillers out there. Yeah. That we had to compensate for that. And it became difficult. I mean, it's, you, you can only do so much. Well, I feel like the, the coaching plays a big part in that as well. Coaching. I mean, you can adjust. I mean, we have some, we had the best assistant coach in the business. Yeah. But, uh, even he scratched his head and said, man. But I know, but I know I'm talking about the other way around. Like you could have a talented team and a coach that's maybe not as experienced or just, you know, for whatever reason, just doesn't manage it well. And then that could ruin the experience as well. Like I feel like yeah. high school, I feel like high school soccer, um, you can get away with with having one or two really, really good players 
and a and a coach that maybe doesn't have as much experience, and you can get away with winning a a few games like that. Um, but you're going to need. I think that's where I'm. That's where I'm starting to. That's that's my area of growth, right? Adjusting to the idea of playing high school soccer and being able to coach high school soccer, which is different than coaching travel soccer. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a different, it's a different dynamic. We, oh, I yeah. remember playing Laurel, and Laurel was not was never good. Yeah, um, they were always you go down the Laurel, you beat them seven nothing. You're playing on sand. Kids that don't play are playing, and get back on the bus, drive back to Dover. It was just a trip. It was just a waste of gas. But they had this kid, and he was just an athlete. Didn't play football, but he was fast. He was strong. He got the ball, man. That kid was like a train. Starts chugging, and um. He could change the game for you. Like he, if if we didn't handle our business, he was bound to score two or three goals. And there were games that you know they played on Laurel's little field, and it was to his advantage. And yeah. they scored goals on teams that they weren't supposed to, supposed to score goals on, or teams struggled where it yeah. should have been nothing. And they knew they knew it was supposed to be seven nothing. They only beat them three two or something. And just like, but you knew they had that kid. Like there's just always those kids that are just athletic that score goals. And then they change the game. You go up one or two goals, and all of a sudden that kid becomes a center back, and they're just sweeping out there. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's knowing how to play the high school game because, again, unless you have twenty-two kids that can play like they play in club, and you can have those kind of training sessions, you need to you gotta adapt. You got to yeah. adapt. You got to use. You got fast kids. You got to play them up top. You got to, and and kids have to play multiple positions. If you go up one nothing against a team. You're not supposed to be up one nothing on on paper. They're better than you. Then you got to kind of pack it in and make it difficult for them and make players frustrated. Yeah. I live life on the edge. You got to kick that ball into the stands and make those ball kids start to run. <laughs> I'm sure everybody's seen that Sunday league TikTok where it's like, yeah, some time he juggles the ball on the sideline and just boots that thing. <laughs> At yeah. the old Dover High School, there was a there was a um backyard with a pool. And hey, we're up one nothing or two one. It's trying like to in the pool. Trying to hit it in the pool. I knew who lived there. Okay. Got to hit it in the pool. Yeah, it's funny. The kid actually went to school with us, but it's like, yeah, you aim for that pool because ain't nobody hopping that fence and getting that ball out the pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's I mean, it, it's those things, right? Because the clock, I mean, the clock's different. There's no stoppage time. It counts down. Once it counts yeah. down, the game's over. Yeah. So it's just like you could play on a track, you know, that ball's going to roll. So it's like knowing those little, the little, yeah, nuances. Games okay. within the games. Yeah. But then yeah, yellow yeah. cards are the other thing, right? You get a yellow. We yeah, used to pick up a tactical yellow and playing that come off. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, all really, really good points. Um, coaches make you stay off. <laughs> Um, all right, we have an interview from the convention uh today. Uh probably one of our one of our favorites, uh Mark Lytton. This is where Dwayne picked up all his tips and tricks for uh for his indoor league that he's playing in or he just finished playing in. Congrats on the second place, by the way. Oh, one second place. All right, well, okay. Probably probably had a worse attitude than the kids and they lose a the final. <laughs> Listen, it's hard, it's hard to play three games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not a keeper. I'm not going to say I'm a good. I am a good keeper, but I'm <laughs> one to say that I'm a going to make routine saves. Yeah, 
I'm going to make routine saves, but there's saves that I make that everybody's like, wow, like <laughs> there's only so many of those. Wow's. <laughs> yeah. That power bar starts draining. Yeah. Like I saved one. I saved one and um, fell out of the box, but kept the ball at my shins in the box so that it, like it wasn't a handball. And everybody was like, it's a handball. And the ref looked, he's like, no, like, I don't know how he did this, but he kept it on his shins in the box. And I'm like, in a, like a bridge position, or like <laughs> in a plank position. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I like, I couldn't tell you how I did that. I just did it. <laughs> well, well, I think, I think part of what Mark talks about in this, uh, in this interview does help us understand a little bit more of the nuances of playing as a, as a futsal goalkeeper and indoor goalkeeper, right? Oh, absolutely. And what the differences are between that and, and, and playing outdoors in an 11 v 11 environment. All three, all three. I mean, there's more than three, obviously soccer, you can go professional if you throw in sand soccer. Yeah. But you got futsal, indoor soccer, outdoor soccer, sand soccer. Yeah. Anything else? No, not really. Okay. Well, there, there's your four pathways. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's also the uh, he was former goalkeeper coach for the U.S. national football team as well. So, uh, so yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and uh, and listen to Mark Litton. Yeah, let's talk goalkeeping. <laughs> Got it. Third string goalkeeper right here. Yeah, I mean you you technically you served as a goalkeeper once in a college game. I did. Yeah. Emergency goalkeeper. Emergency goalkeeper. That's, that's my experience. That's even more pressure. Oh, absolutely. When you're not expecting to ever play. Oh no. And then suddenly you're you're and usually it's at the last second, you're thrust into the situation. Oh yeah, oh, my I'm coach's gonna... eyes when the coach's eyes just wander toward you. Like, see if that works. He looks back, he wanders yeah. towards you again, and you say, Oh, yeah, if anything happens to this keeper, you're going in. I'm like oh, I've never been a keeper before. Are we are we on right now? Yeah, we're recorded, okay. but we we, so we haven't started. Let's, let's like, just talk about that for a second. When when I was coaching at a Division One program, I never let the goalkeepers sit with the rest of the team on the bench. They had to sit next to me because they needed to be mentally dialed into the game. They had to be watching the game through the goalkeeper's eyes because you know you don't have any time to prepare yeah, when you're suddenly thrown into into a game. Um, because you're immediately in the mix. Yeah. Whereas field players, they can just get up, they can warm up a little bit. They can slowly integrate themselves when they get into the game. Um, usually when a goalkeeper goes in, it's at the last second. Right, and it's not prepared. Most times, you're, if you're not mentally prepared to go into the game, and that's why I want them to really watch with me. I talk to them as the game is going on so that if they have to go into the game, they're already mentally warmed up. And then the, it's just the physical part, which is a lot easier. Right. But it should be used, like you're more used to making those saves, but the mental part is the 90% of the challenge there with the keeping. Oh, if you think about the bench during a college game, those guys aren't dialed in 100%. <laughs> right. They're talking. They're yeah, they're having guys. a good time, yeah. And I didn't want my goalkeepers to get caught up in that and you know, not be focused on the game to where they get in the game and they don't, they haven't already seen tendencies of players on the other team, how they're lined up, you know, what type of uh, offense yeah. they're, they're coming at you with, mm -hmm. what you need to do to connect with your back line. I mean, it's, all of that, I need them 
to be watching so that they're ready to go if they have to go into the game. Yeah, they almost need to be an extension of your coaching staff. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like we're, I mean, I love the fact that we're already in the interview. I feel like this has been the most, the <laughs> yeah, smoothest, the smoothest intro, intro to, uh, to any interview we've had. Uh, we have Mark Linton with us today. Mark, uh, is with us youth futsal, uh, and is a goalkeeper coach at across multiple levels, all levels. Yes. Uh, so Mark, so far, a, how has been, how's the convention been so far for you? It's it's been awesome, and I I was joking with Keith Tozer, and and I said, you know, it's gonna travel time from this location to this location is five minutes, but it's gonna take us twenty five minutes because every five steps you're gonna run into somebody you know, and the coaching convention has always been like this enormous reunion. You you see people that you've either networked with through different social media channels. Uh, and then you finally get a chance to meet them in person. And it, it, it's this convention could be a month long and we still wouldn't have enough time to share the ideas and, and meet and talk. And so I did a session yesterday, which was great, a futsal goalkeeping 101. Um, but Keith has two more sessions today that I'll be working with him on. And in between, it's doing podcasts, yeah. it's seeing people we haven't seen. It's, I mean, this has just been phenomenal um all right so i we i want to i want to start off because you just talked about routines yes how important is a routine for a goalkeeper and in just in general develop on those routines how sure uh, that sure. that really that word stuck out to me so i just want to i want to start there well let me let me backtrack a little bit just to put some context so i have worked futsal so I've I've worked with the U.S. Futsal Men's National Team. I'm currently with the U.S. Youth Futsal Program. I've done outdoor. I've done 16 years between Division Two and Division One programs. I've done NPSL. So I've worked at the higher levels of the outdoor game and indoor. I had a 15 year coaching career in the in the MASL MISL. Uh, so I've worked with goalkeepers in all of the spectrums of the. I've even done sand soccer. Um, <laughs> But those are my three areas that I primarily focus and they all overlap with each other. And each one of them, it, it, there's a lot of crossover between all three because there's a foundation of technical skills that you need to have, but also there's the routines that you need to have as well. Um, there has to be a consistency. Each one needs a little something different just based on the elements of the game. For example, in futsal, it's, um, it's about blocking. But once you block and the ball goes out, the play is done. Where indoor, it's about blocking, but it's also about recovery because you block, the ball hits the boards, it stays in. So there's there's different aspects of um, each of those components of the game, but the foundation, some of the routines, some of the preparation is consistent across all of those. So what is... Uh... At the youth levels, um, as as players start start growing, and futsal has been growing tremendously in this country, um, and even at the at the national levels, right? Uh, what you know, and and there are players that are now starting to focus specifically only on futsal, and at times maybe not playing the outdoor game as much. And then you have players that are doing both. So, right. what is that? What is that transition like, especially for goalkeepers? Uh, to go from indoor to outdoor, indoor to outdoor, indoor to outdoor, and and how does 
how do you manage how do you manage that um at the at the youth level because i know in the in, in the at the adult level they don't use gloves right so at the youth level do they use gloves you know i did um my futsal goalkeeping 101 yesterday I had seven local uh goalkeepers female goalkeepers they were probably 13 14 years old and all seven of them had gloves on and the first thing i did is i i said pick up the futsal ball with your gloves on and none of them could pick the ball grip up. It. They couldn't. And yeah, so then I had to take their gloves off. And the first one I said, now, now pick up the futsal ball. And she had no problem picking it up. And so I talk about why gloves were invented. Um, gloves were invented for grip. They weren't invented for any type of protection. They added the protection after that. Mm -hmm. But ideally, they were, they were originally created because you're playing in rain, you're playing in snow, you're playing in dust and dirt. And, and the latex on gloves helps with your grip. Well, it doesn't rain and it doesn't snow in futsal, but futsal is less about catching. It's more about blocking. Right. But where you really need to have a feel for the ball is on the distribution side of the game. And with big gloves that don't have a grip on the ball, your distribution isn't as accurate as it needs to be. And then your team ends up defending because you're creating turnovers. So I, I talk the goalkeepers out of their gloves. Uh, but obviously outdoors, I would not, every aspect of the game, there's equipment that is necessary. Yeah. Um, so just going back to what you're saying, how do they make the transition from, you know, playing months of futsal and then going back outdoors, what helps keepers make those transitions is I call it taking a conscious thought where I have to think about what I'm doing, whatever my technique is, and doing it enough times to where it becomes a subconscious reaction. Where if you think about a lot of the top level goalkeepers, there's a shot that's going up into the upper corner. They don't have to think about what their technique is, how their feet need to work, what they need to do with their hands. It's a subconscious reaction. Unconsciously competent. I was going to say that's the word, right? That's the word. Uh, being unconsciously competent. So it's it's... It only happens through repetition. Yeah. You have to do something so many times for it to become part of your routine. The only way goalkeepers can bridge the gaps of you know playing futsal for three months and then going back outdoors is to have both of those components of the game, what their routines are in that subconscious where they don't have to think about it. Because I say it's, I have three channels. I have my futsal channel. I have my indoor channel and my outdoor channel. I have to be able to turn the channel and immediately if I'm outdoors, I know exactly what I need to do. I know my spacing. I know my angles, judging flights of balls, knowing when to catch versus when to block. And then if I turn the channel back to futsal, then my futsal brain kicks in. And then it's, I know it's about blocking. It's about, you know, block saves, split saves, but that doesn't happen overnight because younger kids who are still working on developing their technical foundation need to still think about what they're doing. And it's hard when they're, they've just been thinking about futsal and they still have to think about what they're doing outdoor to make that transition smooth. But again, it comes through a lot of repetition. repetition. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, you know, we, we ask a lot out of the kids and right there, you're asking a lot out of a goalkeeper to be able to to think between, all right, I'm indoor, I'm outdoor, and especially with us right now, with the majority of clubs training probably indoors this time of year, you know, with a dedicated goalkeeper coach like yourself, 
they're doing a lot of split saves and stuff like that. But then in a few months, they're going to be transitioning back outdoor and they've got to go back to reading the game and studying and not being, I mean, they still have to be reactionary, but they have to do a lot more tactical analysis as well. That's right. And that's where there's two types of goalkeeper coaches that are working today. There's what, and we just talked about it earlier before we went on air. There's what I categorize as cone coaches. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, there's a severe shortage of goalkeeper coaches. And if somebody is willing to take some time to help, you you can't condemn them for you gotta that. Appreciate that right? You have to you gotta appreciate, appreciate it. that. But I call it a cone coach because they're the ones that are researching and going through YouTube and seeing something. And they'll take that exact training session and use it for their goalkeepers. But I call them cone coaches because they can set up the cones as it was on YouTube, but they they don't completely understand why they're doing it or how it applies back into the game. Right. And that's where a conceptual coach is somewhere. I can, I research through YouTube all the time, but I'll see something and I'll see a training activity and I'll immediately know 10 different ways to do that activity, 10 different ways to progress that activity and how to plug it back into the game. So I can explain to the goalkeepers not only what the activity is, but why they're doing it. That's where some coaches have a, a struggle with goalkeeping. For example, we talked about Martinez, yeah. you know, the save in for Argentina, and it was a split save. There are a lot of traditional outdoor coaches that are in favor of bringing futsal goalkeeping techniques into the outdoor game. Because one, they don't know how to teach it, but two, they don't know how it applies in the game and when it should apply in the game. And what they're worried about is that their goalkeepers are going to be making kick saves on shots that are thirty coming from thirty yards out. Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't I don't distinguish much when I'm training anymore between this is just futsal, this is just indoor, this is just outdoor. I've I've really developed it now. It's all about spacing. Yeah. Here are techniques you use in small spaces. Here are techniques you use in medium spaces. Here are techniques you use in large spaces. For example, in small spaces, that's where your blocking techniques come in. And the reason we're switching now to blocking techniques is because of the recovery aspect of it. You think about Martinez coming out in a split save. He is all of his his gravity and his weight is still over his hips to where he can just pop right back up from that position. Same as going into a K save or a block save. Because you're still over your hips, all your gravity is still centralized, it's easy to come right back up to your feet. Whereas if you go into an old traditional wide barrier where now your lateral instead of you know, horizontal, then it's a tougher recovery. Right, because you got to get your whole body back up. Because then you got to bring your whole body yeah. back up. So small spaces now, whether it's futsal, indoor, or outdoor, I teach those small space blocking techniques. Because in an outdoor game, inside my six box, if you're two feet away from me, I'm not thinking about catching. No, you got to (laughs) block. And I'm not thinking about, I got to get my hands to the ball. I'm thinking about blocking. And it's either I'm blocking with my feet, blocking with my body, blocking with my arms. Because it buys you more time afterwards, right? That's right. And it's also not just about blocking it's also about body shape in the block yes. because of the recovery aspect. Absolutely. I, I like how you broke that down because I think that, like like you said, you have two types of goalkeeper coaches. 
And I don't know that they, you know, describe what they're teaching the kids to the full extent. And I think that means, I think that would help the goalkeepers out a lot when you think about a kick save. I know we had it for a couple of years, we had keepers making kick saves. I necessarily didn't understand why they just kept trying to make kick, keep, uh, kick saves and not just picking the ball up. But I think it was the way they were taught. They weren't taught, okay, in this moment, you can pick the ball up. You don't necessarily need to kick it. Like, I think they were working on a lot of 1v1 stuff, but it was never explained, this is the situation that you need to use this kick save. That's exactly right. And I'm, I'll reference back to my session yesterday. So I, I did a futsal goalkeeper one-on-one session, and we were working on block saves and split saves. And during the one of the training sessions, the the goalkeeper still came out for a block save, even though it was a ball she could have picked up. Right. And so what I said is I, I stopped and I said, okay, here's a time where don't play the drill, play the game within the drill. Yes. So that's where coaches need to be able to correct when a goalkeeper is forcing their the activity to happen the drill, yeah. when so it should have been a different should be natural exactly right? it should be you know even though this is what we're working on you still have to play the game and you have to do what you need to do from what the game is showing well from a from a it, well i think it goes back to the idea of why it's so important even at the youngest levels and i feel like at times like as coaches we 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 sometimes forget this the why right exactly like, like the why that's that's such a huge thing especially i think for goalkeeper i mean for all for all aspects of the game but for goalkeeping specifically and how important is it and what connection do you bring that to to parents to a certain extent right because i feel like parent involvement is is difficult and i think <clears throat> we talk about pressure you talked about you mentioned pressure yes. before we started recording the pressures of being a goalkeeper and i think um the pressures of being the parent of a goalkeeper is also difficult because I think that there's also a, a weird dynamic that happens on sidelines, especially at the youth level of like, if you're the parent of the goalkeeper or, you know, if you're the other parents and then, you know, the goalkeeper struggles and things like that, there's so many other, so many added things that, that get brought up in the youth game that we all know and can potentially agree. And I, we can probably all sit with those parents and individually ask them, Hey, do those? Do you think this added pressure is is healthy and all this other stuff? And they would probably all be like, "No, I don't think it should be." Yet here we are. But you know how important is that? Why and explaining that why to that goalkeeper and so that way does that help with the pressure? Does that help prepare them for potentially when mistakes do happen again? Forwards and and it's the it's the age old thing, right? Forwards don't score one hundred percent of the shots they make. They don't you know. And if they hit a po if they hit the post. If uh, if you know Di Maria or Lewandowski or whoever shoots a great shot and just goes just misses, oh what a what it, a it great was okay. it's it was, okay it's okay what a great next shot play, yet, next yet, play. if the goalkeeper is this you know just barely you know half an inch off the off the ball it still goes in the back of the net and then oh they should have could have would have right? Yeah, yeah right exactly right <laughs> you know that and and that's something that I focus a lot on now is more the psychological side because of the pressure. Uh, goalkeeping is a separate sport within a sport. They dress differently. They train differently. They see the game differently. They have a different influence on the game. So they can't be held to the same standards as field players. Um, I say that field players live in the world of gray. Uh, a field player can play 90 minutes and have no influence on the ball on either side of it. 
offensively or defensively, but at the end of the game, what's everybody saying? Hey, good game, good game, good game. Yeah. But a goalkeeper can make nine brilliant saves, but the the last shot on goal goes through their hands and the team loses one nothing, and nobody's saying good game to that goalkeeper because the, we live in black and white as goalkeepers. We're either the hero or we're the zero. Right, absolutely. What's happening right now at the youth level is that some of the youth goalkeepers are having unnecessary pressure put on them because they have this mindset and this pressure's coming from parents. It's coming from coaches, inexperienced coaches. It's coming from teammates. Smaller goalkeepers are playing in front of large goals and they think they're responsible for every square foot of that goal. And so there could be a shot into an upper corner and that young goalkeeper feels responsible that they should have saved that's unnecessary. There's no way they're going to save that. They physically don't have the ability to save that. But the way they've been prepared is that it's their responsibility. And right there, that goal can change the way they play the rest of the game because they feel that that goal was their fault because they should have saved it. And it's unrealistic. I talk about with younger keepers, you have a saving circle. So it's arms above your head, one step left, one step right bringing your arms down, there's your circuit. That's the space that you're responsible for. As you get older and you get bigger, that circle increases. But anything in the upper corners or lower corners, that's not your, that's not your expectation. If you make the save, that's great. But if you don't make the save, that wasn't an expectation in the first place because that's not within your saving circle. So you're saying... And I just want to make sure I'm hearing this clear. So I'm going to use U13 because I think that's an age group. U13, U14 are kids that necessarily haven't hit that growth spurt. It's okay to give up a goal because you physically can't save it. Correct. Absolutely. And and we have to realize that. Absolutely. But again, that's the unnecessary pressure that's put on a lot of goalkeepers. As they get older... And now they start controlling some of the space to cut angles, to, you know, decrease the size of the goal behind them. But that's not happening at the U10, the U11. They're still working on the technical components of the game, how to catch properly, what to do with their body in certain situations moving laterally. For some of them, is how to not be afraid of the ball. Right. Not to be afraid of the ball, right? I think right. Seven that's, v a big, seven. that's a big part well, of it. I think it at seven v seven, you know, we don't want to keep a keeper in <clears throat> the entire game or even a half. We tried to, you know, put everybody in to see who your best bet is. What What I do with young keepers is I'll sit down with them. I'll say, okay, imagine you're sitting in the stands and you're watching yourself play, and a forward hits a laser beam into the upper corner. What are you thinking? Are you thinking, wow, what a fantastic shot? Or are you thinking, mm, the goalkeeper should have saved that? Right. And they're, of course, they're saying, wow, what a fantastic a shot. shot. <laughs> I say, okay, what if that forward now shot the ball straight at the goalkeeper and it went through their hands and went in the goal? Now are you thinking fantastic shot? Or are you thinking the goalkeeper should have saved it? So by taking them out of context and having them look from the outside in, it puts it into better perspective. It helps them to understand what their responsibilities are with things they can control and things they can't control. And that's where parents can be a detriment because of the fact that they put too heavy of an expectation on their child to be successful. I think we see that a lot at the, well, before we get to 11 v 11, the 77, 99, when these kids necessarily haven't hit the growth spurt, they're not necessarily comfortable, they're not full-time goalkeepers. 
they don't necessarily understand how to save the game. And that's when you get into those high scoring games and it's back right. and forth, back and forth. And it's like, listen, Johnny just couldn't, he just couldn't do it. He couldn't get inside that circle and we're adding pressure to him. He's not ready. And it's just got to give time to grow. So I like how you broke that down with the physical, the circle of control that they're yes. able to make that safe. The The other thing is, again, this is going into the psychological with dealing with kids, is kids are our program, they're afraid to make mistakes because they know that, you know, society punishes mistakes. I tell Mike, I encourage you to make mistakes because mistakes takes you out of your comfort zone. If you never leave your comfort zone, you stop learning. Absolutely. And so you need to make mistakes because that's the greatest learning tool you can have is the mistake you make. And I can use those mistakes then as coaching points. But if kids are afraid to ever make a mistake, they're going to make even worse mistakes because they're not progressing and they're not continuing to learn. And that's the only way I tell young goalkeepers, I will never judge you on a mistake you make. I will judge you on how you respond to your mistake. We use that a lot. Yes. I had a conversation with my goalkeeper a few weeks ago um, and a college coach had a convers- the same conversation. Routine safe. Ball's rolling very slow. Drop down on a knee. Get your body behind it. Make the safe. Ball rolls right underneath her body. Goal. What's the response? You know, she didn't respond in the right way. And the coach said, hey, listen, what's your response going to be? I don't care that you gave up that goal. What I want to say is the next time the ball comes in, are you going to make that safe? Are you going to react? Or is this going to take you out of the game? Because, you know, going to the next level, it's, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to lead your team? Because if you're in, you know, the ACC final, you give up a goal. And we need you in PKs. How are you going to be there? Or are you going to you're going to be on the bench? Well, I think it's one of those reasons why college coaches sometimes want to see college showcases in the middle of a rain or a really bad like weather environment because you want to be able to see what you do what what you're going to do because we I mean from a college standpoint, college playoffs are all in November, so the weather depending on where you are in the unless you're in Florida, depending on where you are in the country, November can be tough. So. That's and what you, you want to see. You coached at the college level, so <laughs> yes. could you could you kind of provide some more insight on that? Sure, sure. Um, it, it all starts with the goalkeeper coach to help the the goalkeeper's mentality of when they make a mistake. And in training sessions, I I call it overload training. I do overload training with my keepers where I will train them faster than game speed because then it forces them out of their comfort zone and it's. It's natural that mistakes are going to happen, but it gives them an opportunity to see where the mistake happened, where the breakdown was, and we could work on that so that they know what they need to do after they make a mistake to help recover. That also helps the mental side of it. When you, when you don't work with them on when mistakes happen, how to mentally handle it, young kids will make a mistake and they'll shut down because they're thinking they, they're going to get yelled at, they let everybody down. Where they got to understand mistakes. That's all soccer is. Soccer is just a big collection of uh, mistakes. mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, usually yeah. the team that makes the least amount <laughs> yeah. of mistakes is the one that wins. <clears throat> yeah. But mistakes are going to happen. And it's not just goalkeepers. It's everybody. But your character comes through how you manage your mistakes. Do you lift yourself up and just say, okay, that one's on me. And what you do next is going to define your character. At the college level. And I'm going to give you an example. And I'm not going to mention names. So... I'm working with a Division One program, and obviously playing Division One, there's a lot of pressure in a game. It's a fast game. It's a physical game. And I was working with a program where anytime the goalkeeper made a mistake, the head coaches 
it's from the sidelines barking at him, but I'm not barking at him. And during one game, the head coach finally looked at me and he said, how come I'm the one that's getting up to yell at him and you're not? Right. And I said to him, I said, he knows he made a mistake. And right now he wants to get as far away from that mistake as possible. And by you getting up and yelling at him about his mistake, you're pulling him right back into that moment. You're pulling him right back into that same frame of mind. And you're going to get him stuck there. I said, he already knows he made a mistake. Now is not the time to address it with him. You don't have the luxury to pull him to the sideline in the middle of the game and have right. a conversation. This you don't isn't have American it. football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't There's call no time out. out. You don't. <laughs> he has to process in the moment. And the way he processes is he moves past it. You have to have a short memory. He didn't understand because he, that's not how a head coach is programmed because they expect that when they talk to a player, they're going to immediately respond. For example, and again, this is the psychological side of it. When I have a high-level goalkeeper with that pressure and this same goalkeeper, we are out West, we're playing a, you know, a top 10 school, he's having a great game. But late in the game, uh, just a routine save got underneath him, we lost one nothing, And he was upset. And I met him. And he, right away, he's upset. And I say, you know what? Don't worry about it. We'll talk about it later. That is not the time to yeah. talk to a player, a goalkeeper about their mistake because they are emotionally charged up. They're emotionally attached to the mistake. And you cannot have the conversation you need to have with them during that moment. Because as goalkeepers, we process. We're the first ones to take ownership of a mistake. We process it, but eventually we come to terms with it. We separate the emotions. We put logic to it. That's when me as a goalkeeper coach, I want to talk to you because I cannot have a critical conversation with you about your play while you're still emotionally attached to that moment because you will take it in a more critical manner than a learning manner. That's where parents come in. Parents do the same things to their kids. They'll put them in the backseat of the car after a tough game and they'll start grilling them. Why did you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why did you... And they're processing. Yeah. And they don't want to talk about no. it. And I've used this with my own 10-year-old son is when he's had a bad game and he's in the back of the car, I only talk about the good things he did. Mm -hmm. You know, I want him to, to, to get away from, the, you know, blaming himself and feeling down as quickly as possible. I won't talk to him about anything that didn't go right until the next day. Is your son a goalkeeper? Uh he was. <laughs> you know what? He tried it. He didn't like it. But that's okay. That's too much pressure, right? No, no. I, and for me, I, I don't need to live vicariously through my child. I wanted him to find a sport, whether it's soccer or not, that he's passionate about, that he wants to you know, spend the time to get good at that sport. And if it's not soccer, I was okay with that. It's awesome. But that's the that's the same advice I give parents is let your children process. Yeah. Don't don't try to to get them to give you answers that they're not ready to give you. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, I think I, that's huge. Um, I had a, another instance instance with a goalkeeper gave up the most goals she's given up in a game in one half and probably in about fifteen minutes and asked to come out. I said, now we're going to keep you in the game. And then I kind of waited until after the game and I explained, pulled her aside and explained to her why I kept her in the game. I said, hey, you're a great goalkeeper. This is the first time you met a challenge. Face the challenge. 
go go through with it. Don't don't just want to you don't want to just leave at the first sight of any right. pressure. Don't right? quit. Don't quit. Stay in there. And the plan, you know, I kind of I have three goalkeepers on one team, so I kind of lay out how we're gonna, you know, rotate them. The plan was to bring in another goalkeeper in the second half. I said, you know what, you stay in the second half and meet this challenge. Can you compete? Can you be there for your team? So I know that when we need you and you're in the game, you're there. I think that's the best thing you could have done because it's not just about the goalkeeper, but it's the perception of the rest of the team. Right. That it's it almost shows that you don't have faith in that goalkeeper to recover from those mistakes and they need to they can't bail out they yeah. they have to face that they have to take the, the the good and the bad at the same time at the same time and you know, staying in a game like that uh, almost forces them to have to deal with it mm -hmm. to understand you know how to get past those moments and and get their legs back underneath them and and turn the corner make the next save and you're not able to do that if you pull them out of the game right it's about well, making the next save i i i feel i i feel like this is going to be one of the hardest interviews to have to stop because I'm, because and and i think mark we're gonna have to we're gonna have to i'm gonna have to email you again and we're gonna have to have you back on because sure. i feel like we could continue to talk about this, this because be we three-part episode because <laughs> I, there are there are two other things that we haven't that we talked about we wanted to talk about we haven't right? even talked we about yet we didn't even get to those things um and i've mentally already shared the link to the podcast to all of my goalkeepers already yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, already absolutely. Been sent. <laughs> let, let me encapsulate everything that i've just brought to the table today one yeah I work in the three areas of, of goalkeeping, futsal, indoor, outdoor. And as I said, I don't distinguish between them anymore. It's more about small spaces up to big spaces and the techniques that are needed. And that's that's more important than this is just specific to this, yeah. this or this. The other part of it is I tie, as we talked a lot about, is just the mental or psychological yeah. side, understanding the mental makeup of a goalkeeper, the pressures that are on them. And that's where a good goalkeeper coach is so desperately needed yes. to help. We're almost like psychologists yeah. Yeah. for the kids to help them break through those tough moments. Because if you're not a goalkeeper, you'll never understand what that pressure is. Yeah, And it's difficult if you as a young goalkeeper, they'll leave the game because they don't have a way to explain or understand yeah. the pressure they're facing. Yeah. Well, Mark, I I genuinely This <laughs> I is part one. This right? is part one. Part this one. is part definitely one. part one. This is part one. Uh this is part one. Uh but genuinely appreciate you coming coming over and, and stopping by our, our table and sitting down with us. Um I learned a ton. Good. I learned okay. a ton and I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to continue the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, this is gonna be this is gonna be great. Uh so thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate you guys having me on. And anytime, just just let I I don't own the information that's in my head. So I don't <laughs> sell it. I give it away for free. Awesome. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, great. <laughs> thanks, guys. All right, doing. Um I was talking to my dad yesterday. Um I love uh, yeah, I was trying to I was talking to him and, and on my way home, and he asked me a very important question that I didn't have the answer to. Huh. What was uh, the, question? the question was, is Messi staying at PSG or not? Dude, that's a good question. <laughs> first of all, you had the two most valuable players of the World Cup final. Yep. Who can't even get out of the round of 16 against a team that 
couldn't make it out of the group stage of the World Cup. Yeah. Because, I mean, Bayern, obviously, you sprinkle some other players in there. But their base is the German national team. Um, I mean, not yes and no. I mean, if you look at so if we if we I mean, look, you throw like an Alfonso Alfonso Davies in there, you throw like a Kingsley Coman in there. No, 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 no. Let's we're gonna look at this because no, you bring up you bring up a good point, and I and I want to make sure we get this right before we just start yelling things. Uh, Jan Sommer, goalkeeper from Switzerland. But they just, that's not there. Yeah, it is because Neuer. Oh, I mean, Neuer's out. Yeah. So, let uh, right back, uh, Joseph uh, Stanisic, Croatia. Upa Meccano, France. Delict, Netherlands. Alfonso Davies, Canada. So you got a back line and a goalkeeper, not German. All right, then you then you start in your your Germans, right? So Leon Goretzka. Uh, Joshua Kimmage, Kinsey Komen, French. French. Thomas Mueller, Komen, Ger- German. <laughs> uh, Musiala, German. And then uh, Tupamoting, Cameroon. So out of the 11, you started four Germans. Okay. <laughs> what about the best? I think there was the more best? French players in at PSG than there were Germans in uh, in Bayern. That's interesting. There's probably more French players for Bayern than there are for PSG. Uh, Could be. I mean, the back line for... We know the back line for for PSG is not French. Uh, Hakimi, not French. Vitinha, not French. Baratti, not French. Ruiz, not French. Uh, Nuno Mendes, not French. So actually, uh, PSG started one French player. Killian. Kylian Mbappe. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it I think it's interesting. You know what I didn't you know what I didn't hear? What? Argentinians. Oh, Messi? Messi's in there. No, I'm just saying I didn't hear about any Argentinians that are uh on any t- either one of those teams. I mean Messi's on at PSG. It's only one. Usually you guys come in deep. Well, yeah, but they kicked all of them out. Paredes out. Di Maria out. Not performing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the question is going to be for everybody now that, you know, Neymar's out for the next two months. What's going to happen to to, to Messi? Um, is he going to, you know, is he going to, you know, his contract ex- runs out. So he's able to go anywhere for free. Um, so who's who's got that contract money? PSG, Newcastle, United. No, there's no way Newcastle's bringing it. There's no way he plays at Newcastle. But City, does City bring him on? They don't got money. For a contract? They got to sell. Financial fair play. Financial fair play for trade, doesn't it? Or is it for contracts? It's, it, I think it's, you got it. You have to equal the money going out that you have coming in. Right, so you but- can't, like, it, it couldn't be. So like Messi, if Messi, let's say Messi, um, Goretzka, like let's just say like three players all decide they want to let their contracts run out and they all say, all right, we're going to go to City. Yeah. You can't just like, City can take all three, but they would have to get rid of. The same amount of money. money. Yeah, yeah, I got you. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, I, there are some possibilities, though, that City might, you know, there's some, there's, I would, I think there's two or three players that City could get rid of to bring in Messi. Yeah, but are those two, three, you got to realize that City has that depth because they're trying to make a Champions League run. So getting rid of two or three players, does that help you? Does that really ultimately help you or hurt you? Because City also plays in a lot of competitions. Yeah, but I think I think you can I think there's a Mares or a Silva that you can like probably like do away with. Maybe. And whoever you realize whoever you bring in, I mean granted these guys rotate a lot. Like City City does rotate. Pep does a great job of rotating guys. Messi's starting every game. So now you've just taken away the ability for someone to start. That's what I'm saying. Get rid of Mars and Silva. Messi dropping in the midfield for Silva? Maybe. Sorry, Phil, Foden, Phil Foden just drops back and just does it all. Phil Foden does do it all, but so does Silva. That's part of the rotation. Yeah. I don't know. I think it'll be interesting for... for... In the Premier League, everybody, everybody said the Premier League is the hardest league to play in, just from a physicality yeah. standpoint. Yeah, well, I what I don't what I don't think I would want to see is Messi coming to the MLS. I don't think I I don't genuinely like as much as believe me as much as it pains me to say it because it would give me the ability to see him. Um, I I don't I don't think I I don't I don't would I don't think I would want Messi to play in the MLS. You have to call Alex real quick. Be like, yeah, I need a block. I need a block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's sweet. Um, yeah, I don't know that I would I don't know that I would want to. Man, when do they play under Miami? That would be the real question. Cause uh next week. They just played them away. Oh, they just played them away. So yeah, they you gotta play them home. October, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, come on, <laughs> MLS. Um June, June 24th. Yeah, there it is, June 24th. Yeah, yeah come on, MLS. It won't happen then because be, it'd be too early. Yeah, his contract. We got we got to move that game. There's got to be a rain delay or something that day. Somebody's got to drive on the field. Yeah, yeah bro, where's that dog? Where's that El Salvador dog? That's the player of the match right there. Yeah, El Salvador dog. Um, that guy was that dog is crazy. Yeah, so um, definitely something to, that we we're gonna keep keep track of. Um, all right, my player of the match is 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 loaded because it comes with other information. Goes with the El Salvador dog? No, it's not the El Salvador dog. Or was it the did the Argentinian dog you had travel north? <laughs> it's trying to find you. Is that your dog from Argentina? It's finally making its way up here. Uh, um, <laughs> um uh, <laughs> that just cracked me up. Uh, uh, my player of the match is Chloe Ricketts. So All Chloe. Right, Chloe? Chloe Ricketts made uh made huge headlines this week as being the youngest player to sign with an NWSL team. Uh, she signed with the um with the Washington Spirit um at 15 years old, 283 days, which breaks Olivia Moultrie's record that she had set with the Portland Thorns by three days. And Olivia did that. Last year, two years ago. Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. So what this means is under the new guidelines uh, that that the NWSL has. So NWSL has this under eighteen entry mechanism 
which uh, basically means she can she can participate in the league. She has a full roster spot. She has to finish school because she's a sophomore in high school, so she has to finish high school. Um, which that just tells you she's she's a 2007, but she's a young 07. Dang. So she's a sophomore in high school. Actually, no, no, she's, no, she's an old seven. seven. Yeah, sorry. So she's an old seven. Um, so she's a sophomore in high school. So she's got to finish high school. She cannot be traded or waived before the age of 18 without the consent of her and her legal guardians or her parents. <laughs> you ain't cutting my kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she has to live with a parent or a legal guardian until she's 18 years old. Oh, that's cool. I mean, I'm assuming she lives in the Washington. Where is she from? Michigan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, yeah. So, really interesting. Uh, so, Chloe Ricketts was playing for the Michigan Tigers. Rawr. Um, And she was actually <laughs> playing on a boys team. Oh, yeah. She's a baller. So, uh, a year ago or two years ago, she was playing in the U.S. Youth uh, like National League. Cutting it up. With uh, starting, starting, starting on a yeah. on an 07 boys team, she's probably cutting them up. Yeah, she plays as an outside midfielder as a winger. So she's um, probably shot. yeah, she probably got a mean shot. So, so this does bring up um, two things that I wanted to talk about with the NWSL. One, uh, FIFA announced that um, as of March fifteenth, um. FIFA has now added the NWSL uh, in its video game. Um, and it's also going to bring in the English Women's Super, uh, Super League, the Division One Feminine, which is the one from French the French League, and the UEFA Women's Champions League. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so uh, as of March 15th, You'll be able to play those in um in different modes. You'll be able to play that in kickoff, tournament mode, head-to-head season, co-op seasons, online friendlies. And they're also adding um uh they're adding four new NWSL stadiums, authentic kits, stadium decors, trophies, and celebrations as well. You can so, really play uh, huge update. You can really play women's teams on kickoff or in online head-to-head. What you could play with women's teams on head to head, yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, the, I'm All just saying, teams. yeah, 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 these NWSL teams are now you're going to be able to play them in, in different formats as well, yeah. I was so. beating up on one of my friends, he invited me, I've been beating him. There you go, he took so. Chelsea to Barcelona, I let him know. <laughs> so, so, uh, so yeah, so. Bro. So it's pretty pretty cool that that FIFA's added adding those things, and not only that, they're almost coming out like you normally don't get that big of an update, um, you know, halfway nah, through a cycle, a game cycle. Yeah, got to turn on your Xbox. <laughs> FIFA FIFA normally comes out in September, um, so uh, and it, this is is this the last iteration of it? This is the last one. This is the last uh, one, right? This is the last before it's EA Sports FC or whatever it is or yeah something like that yeah um it'll be interesting to see what that is yeah it'll be interesting to see if fifa does anything else if maybe fifa jumps in with uh with um what's it called pro evolution soccer yes. pes yeah. yeah 
I'll say this. The PES career mode was always better because like it had the... It was a better game. Yeah. Well, yeah, they just didn't have the rights to everything. Yeah. Because like it made it super realistic that it was like when you're starting out as a pro, instead of going on loan, you play for like, if you play for like Chelsea, you play for the reserve team. Yeah. You play the reserve matches to build yourself up. Yeah. And then go on loan. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just more realistic in that matter. Yeah. Um, last thing, uh, the NWSL does kick off March 25th. So in a couple of weeks, the NWSL kicks off in its 2023 season. Um, so it'll be, it'll be cool. So that was my last, my last little thing. Uh, so all 12 teams kicking off. Um, going back to Philly this week. Was it brand new teams? What Angels City FC? No, they had a team last no, year. Not, no. Uh, San Diego. No, they're no, not, new. not new. Was there a new team this year? Is there a team in Utah now? Um, Ola Rain was there. Houston, Chicago Red Stars. Um, now I'm now I'm drawing a blank. I thought there was. I feel like they either announced that there's a new team this year or two coming in next year. Maybe. Maybe maybe there isn't a new team this year. Um Yeah, maybe maybe not. I know that they said I know that Utah the Utah team moved. I can't remember where they moved to. They, they might have moved to Texas. But Utah was going to be coming back. It used to be the Utah Royals. I oh, feel like that yeah, was- yeah, yeah. So okay, so this will be this will be in twenty twenty four. Will be two new yeah. teams. Um, it'll be uh, Utah and San Francisco Bay Area and Boston. Boston, um, Boston. <laughs> yeah, which Boston hasn't had a team in a while. Yeah, the Boston Breakers. That's right. Yeah. You know who they had? Julie King? No. Well, they did. Oh, yeah. Jasmine Reeves. There you go. I think she might still hold a record. In Delaware player, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, Utah Royals. Um, yeah, you're right. Hey, put me on that Jeopardy. Kansas City is an expansion of franchise 2021. Yeah, so, okay. But, yeah. All right, so that was my long-winded player of the match. Uh, who's your player match goes up to the El Salvador dog, man. <laughs> to the Alianza dog? Just, I mean, there is more people engaged with soccer because that was that went viral. The dog? That, you, man, this is the first time you guys seen a dog on, on, on a game? Just roll up on a game? Not my first time. I this remember playing... Going back to high school soccer, we were playing Del Mar at Del Mar. Some dog ran dog the field. Little Chihuahua, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. But that, but but the the thing is, like, was that was that somebody's dog that got off their leash? Nah, that's the stadium dog. It's the stadium dog. Because that's what I'm saying, man. Like, I grew up with watching games and and actually even 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 growing up in Argentina, seeing these random dogs rolling up in the streets or in the in the in the fields. No nah, man, that was that I've been was summer camp before, man. Where we would we be playing in the stadium, and then this dog just rolls up. Listen, I've been at Milltown Village, and deer rolled up. 
But anyway, that is true. And we've also had we did have a we did have a dog once. I don't know if you were there that day. We we had a dog. We had a dog randomly show up at practice once. Well, Delaware Union Park was notorious for having dogs. Yes, because a neighbor from the other side had dogs that would just roll in. You had to call animal control because Dan couldn't start a game one time because those things would not leave there. Like people were out there, hey, 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 hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They would not leave and we weren't getting bit. So we had to call animal control. Yeah. Um, all right. On this day is soccer history. Um, Manchester United. Boo. <laughs> March 10th, 2010. Um, Seven years after leaving Manchester United, David Beckham goes back to Old Trafford while he's on loan at AC Milan from the LA Galaxy uh, to play the second leg of the round of 16 of the Champions League. Um, He came in the second half in the 63rd minute as a sub. Um, Everyone was really happy, but at the same time, it was also because Manchester United had a 1-3-2 in Italy. And uh, they were up three nothing when Beckham joined in. So they were, you know, it was a the the leg of the the uh, the aggregate score was seven to or six to two at the time, and ended up being seven to two. Um. So yeah, it was good. Well, he might have been able to get them some away goals. That was the time when when Beckham was playing with what ninety nine or hundred or whatever is was on his on his jersey. Yeah, probably like ninety nine. I think it was ninety nine, right? Um, Maldinho was like oh, no, 32. Sorry, 32. Wow, well, 32. Yeah, he wore that at PSG too. You yeah, were, yeah, honestly, yeah. I was a fan when MLS teams did this. What loaned out their players to either train over the winter months with European teams, yeah, and or play in some of those cup matches because I think that it with the MLS being on a weird calendar, it just helped raise the level, yeah. Of those players, like it, like Landon Donovan used to do it, Thierry Henry used to do it. They would just go on loan for a few months. Yeah, I think somebody stayed though, and it kind of messed it up. I forget who it was. Yeah, now they don't do that as much. Well, no, because somebody went on loan and extended it till the end of the season, yeah. until the summer. Yeah, they didn't come back. I think it might have been like Frank Lampard or somebody. They didn't come, come back. back. Yeah, um, and that probably ruined it for everybody else. <laughs> Um. Yeah. But those little three month loans, man, they made a lot. They were, of sex. They were fun. They were good. It, it gets you. It gets you a little something that you weren't yeah. getting in MLS for sure. Um. All right. Fair play of the week. Uh. My fair play of the week goes out to Lauren. Uh. Because she's going to be the JV coach at Odessa. So she's yeah, uh, Lauren. So former Delaware Union player, former player that I've coached before. So excited to to have her on board. So it'll be cool. Um. Who's your fair play of the week? Well, fair play. He's going to go out to Dan Simmons. He yeah. said hi, by the way. Dan, I texted with, I was texting with Dan yesterday. Dan, oh. Dan is the uh, fair play of the week Emiratus. Yeah, there you go. Every you week. Go, right? Every week. Long. I think it's, here we go. I got it. I got it. I got it. And we're about to make this official. And you're going to see this live, Dwayne. Dan Simmons fair play of the week. It's the, it's the Dan Simmons fair play of the week. There you go. I sent him I sent him the Zoom link and said, just come on and say hi. Say hi to all the people. Yeah. So he's either A trying to figure it out on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> or B, he's teaching a class. Teaching a class, yeah. Uh yeah. So yeah, it should be the the Dan Simmons Fair Play of the Week award. Yeah. Give it to Dan. I told him that he uh 
told him to help the goalkeeper from Polytech out because uh, she used to graduate from the Hood Goalkeeper Academy. <laughs> <laughs> she, she don't, she's not doing bad, but uh, there's probably some bad habits in there. Not terrible habits, bad habits you need to break and just show her how to do some things. Yeah. Like, I'll get out there and work with her. I was like, yeah. Yeah. She's probably still diving all over the place. Yeah. Like a cat. Like wow. a cat. Dive <laughs> on that thing. Panther, panther. Um, yeah, no, good stuff. I, I I like the fact that we renamed this the uh, Dan Simmons Fair Dan Simmons Week. Yeah, I like that. That's good. You, know who didn't, you didn't play fair this week? Oh. Soccer? Chad's son. <laughs> he was trash off. Nah, it was more, they were scoring goals late coming back, and I was trying to hold on to the ball. He's running into the goal, grabbing the ball. And we were like wrestling for the ball. <laughs> Not like wrestling, but I was just like trying gotta to watch out, man. Gotta watch out, man. He might, he, he might get you. That's they were gunning for me. Yeah. Bro, they, brought in, they brought in some ringers. <laughs> Brent Lee's dad was out there, ringer. <laughs> Yeah, he used to have hops back in the day. He was going up for headers, but that's another story for another day. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining. What? Wait, what? I got goalkeeper of the tournament. You got goalkeeper of the tournament. There you go. (laughs) Self-proclaimed. You didn't do what Emmy Martinez did, right? What was that? With a trophy? No. (laughs) Good. good. It was no trophy. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week. And remember, always receive the ball on your front foot. (laughs) 